Hey, it's me, Rasan. I don't know, man. Huge hole in my, you know, yeah. <laughs> understanding. Just my fellow Americans. <laughs> Probably are you. As long as you're, whatever you're doing doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Different perspective of what an interesting topic is than I would assume. This is Bounce Exchange. Hey, it's me, Rasan. I'm here with... Dan, uh, Baloo or Papa Bear, depending on which way, which way you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to do uh, something a little bit uh, different than my normal podcast structure. Um, I actually met uh, Baloo through the Marine Corps birthday like celebration, drink fest. Yeah. I don't know. I was drinking a lot. so It was a drink fest. We definitely yeah. all had plenty. <laughs> and I've never met you before that, I don't think. Nope, never yeah. met before. We were in the, I mean, I was in the Marine Corps, you're obviously still in, right? So, Correct. And were you in 9th Com? Nope, never been in 9th Com. I've never been to a Com Battalion. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> that's that's very interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a whole other one. I was mostly in 9th Com and in, in the Mew. So, who are you with now, if you don't mind sharing? So, I am at the Marine Corps Communications Electronics School. Oh, McSess. Um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, I am out here as the academics officer, um, the chief warrant officer, and I basically run the academic stuff for all communications uh, for RF side, right? So anything that's a radio or a SATCOM terminal, uh, even wideband systems, I manage the courseware, the curriculum, the academic stuff, whatever you want to call it, for, for everything that transmits a radio signal, basically. That is really cool. And I actually went through um, 29 Palms, which is where he's at. Um years back years ago that's where i got trained on um both being a basic radio operator a 2531 back then and a 2534 which is hf which is the worst decision i ever made in my life but it's all good because <laughs> the... then, then it went away right away right yeah yeah it did um they didn't tell me well i mean they did give me a warning but i was i just need to get the i need to get out of doing basic radio operators so it's like there were some really dumb people in there not all of them but a lot of them were really dumb and I, I I had a computer background, and I was like, when somebody was like, hey, you know what, bits and bod rates? And I was like, yes. And he was like, you care if you ever get promoted again? I was like, I don't care. I thought he was kidding. And he was not kidding. So. No, dang. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes those numbers matter, man. Like, how many is doing something? And it, it just means you're never going go anywhere. So, little backstory. I mean, my first job was kind of that way, too. I had a, I was a 5954, which was air traffic control communications maintenance. Mm -hmm. And, like, the average time for someone to get promoted to corporal was four years time in service, right? So you were yep. <laughs> already ending your normal tour by the time you got promoted to corporal. So I spent three years as a Lance corporal. Like it, it was, <laughs> it, it was a long wait to pick up corporal. And for a lot of guys, it was like, I'm already, you know, you're already on your way out the door. So it was an interesting job. That so. literally happened to me. I would have been a terminal Lance, but I extended to go on a Mew and I got promoted. Got okay. hit with stop loss. <laughs> and then yep. I got I got promoted. I thought they were kidding. They said, um, you're getting promoted today. And I was like, really? Because even though I was a, technically a 4066, but I guess they still kept me in 2534. So I decided um, to keep waiting. So yeah, there's like 50 guys in my MOS. 50. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel now. I mean, yeah. Being <laughs> a, a being a officer. Well, that's pretty dope, though. I mean, if, if I was to stay in the Marine Corps, I would have wanted to go the one officer route. Yeah, it's a good gig. And so I guess to a little bit of a segue, as we're going to talk a little bit about politics and some stuff about our government and how it functions today versus what it was intended to be, I have to make it clear that as a Marine, like this is now Dan Ballou, 
degree in political science, studied history of America and like what a constitution and what a republic and all these other things are. That's this is Dan Ballou talking, not the Marine Corps. This is not a Marine Corps outlook on things, right? I, I don't speak for the Marine Corps. I'm not a, a public affairs officer. I don't have the authority to say that this is an opinion for the Marine Corps. This is just my position on things I see as you know potential issues and changes that we did to our government from when it was originally founded that is potentially affecting us today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of confusion on just how a basic republic works and a, and a democracy works because technically we're not really a democracy. We do democratic voting on some stuff, right? A lot of stuff, but when it comes down to you know brass tacks, we're we're a republic, and I think that most people don't really understand that. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, when we start because I think we're just got one other topic before we really start our topics. Sure. Um, I will do a quick summary, and we could do maybe a whole other segment on the difference between the kinds of government republics versus democracies or whatever. But um, I do think we need to cover what we're drinking. <laughs> sure. You want to know what I'm drinking? Sure. I am drinking a double stuffed uh, chocolate sandwich cookie stout by White Elm Brewery. I'm fancy. <laughs> a lot of words there. It is. Sorry. It's, it's, I drink fancy herb beer. So it's like a cookie. It's a chocolate stout. It, yeah. It tastes like sort of like an Oreo. Sort of. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. What are you drinking? So um, my wife got me for the Christmas season because no one else drinks it. Some eggnog. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> tossing back some eggnog in a mason jar. Is there any booze in there? Mm-hmm. So this is this is why she bought this. This comes in the plastic container from Costco already ready to drink oh, with liquor in it and everything. It's so easy. It's just <laughs> and it's good. It's actually pretty darn good. Costco is like one of the best things ever. You know what I love about Costco? The fact that I can buy a liter and a half of vodka for $12 and I could literally kill myself with one bottle of those. And they're just like, whatever. It's so cheap. I don't know how they make it so cheap. $12 suicide. Like, it's about as cheap as it can get. The only thing cheap. Yeah. I don't know if I can think of cheaper. Most rounds actually cost more than that these days. Yeah, but you still got to buy the gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to buy the gun or borrow it. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. It's just crazy. So, I, yeah, I felt like. For one, I could have poured like just ice and um, whiskey, but I was like, eh, I wanted something a little smoother to start at least. What kind of whiskey do you drink? We'll, we'll get to the the topics in a minute, but I, I need to know. Hey. We, we don't actually know each other. So <laughs> so the the night of the birthday ball, I was drinking some screwball. I was kind of showing it off. Oh, um, yeah. It's a peanut butter peanut whiskey, butter. which was crazy good. Um, or rum, usually. Like I have, um, I have, because, so I do have some issues with like, something to do with gluten or bread or something. I don't know. I'm yeah. having this issue where I'm getting older and, you know, you, as you get older, you develop new allergies and new weirdness. So I'm starting to notice like if I eat certain things, it starts giving me this really hard, like weird feeling in my chest. So um, I started specifically trying to look towards gluten-free and see if that made a change that worked. And um, Sailor Jerry's rum, which is one of the strongest rums anyways, uh, is also gluten-free. So I was like, oh, let me try that. And I've just dug putting it into ginger beer and enjoying uh, a Moscow mule with rum in it. And so it's, it's pretty good. Nice, nice. That's kind of my normal go-to. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, people that listen to my, you know, the Black Other Than Black Times Infinity podcast, um, which we haven't named this podcast yet. We're going to figure it out after we record this. Just, <laughs> yeah. But um, they, they know all about Screwball because we've talked about it a few times. <laughs> so, I mean... I didn't think about it till afterwards, but I realized like coming to your, your ch channel in particular, I picked about the whitest drink possible. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, was it a white Russian? Cause I just thought it was white, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like literally the drink itself is white. Not yeah. Just white yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was like, well, uh, whatever, you know what? It'll show, it'll be a part of it. Cause I, I don't think that, cause in the conversations we did have, like, I feel like because of the Marine Corps and, and just the type of people that it attracts a lot of the positions we had on stuff were very similar, but there's still differences. Um, I originally started to want to do a political discussion podcast or um, started a, a blog with a friend of mine from high school who is basically like the polar opposite politically from me and has completely opposite opinions on things in an effort to show that there's a, like we're kind of going to do, I think a method to have a, re a realistic and adult conversation about these topics that people generally like fly off the handle about and get angry about um, instead of doing something where we can maybe actually get somewhere and find a compromise. So uh, we were originally, we we're going to do that. And I think that's kind of part of this too, is the contrast in things potentially like how we look at things differently or don't and find, find the common ground and stuff. Kind of cool. Yeah. I think civil discourse has been lost. Um, yeah, a lot of the course, world. Yeah, great words. Sorry. Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect way to talk about it. Yeah, and it's just like we're probably going to agree on more stuff than we disagree with because uh, you know I'm not I, I don't have any ties to the left or the right. I'm I'm solidly yeah. in the middle, and that confuses most people <laughs> that I talk to. So try put me in a box. I'm just like I'm not that person. I just want mm -hmm. a better. I just want a better America. I don't care who can give me that better better America. I just want somebody to do it. If it's a man, woman, I don't care what you know what ethnic background they have just help this republic out yeah. and let's make it all better instead of sticking um your flag on one side and be like i'm just gonna do whatever they tell me to do it's like no like the american public needs better than that we deserve better than that and yeah, yeah um <clears throat> i think we talked about it um you know offline but you're a libertarian right yeah okay so can you break down what a libertarian actually is because most people don't really understand what that is and I think I actually so, fall within the lines of libertarian. I just don't have enough education uh, as far as like the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and all that stuff to really yeah. break it down. So so the, there's just like anybody who follows a political party, right? There's probably something in the party that you don't necessarily agree with, right? Yeah. So like as long as you can say, hey, most of what this is is the closest I can find that I agree with, that's kind of what I'll start looking towards. And then you still got to kind of pick and choose people. Um which is being an educated electorate, right? If we're supposed to be people who make these decisions, we need to look for information and make those decisions based on that information. But yeah. so I think it would be another topic we'd have to do where instead of a left-right concept, which is one of the things that, you know, is, is talked about because that's kind of how our political system is designed right now is a, is a one versus the other uh, option that instead of, political spectrum being left or right, it should be a quadrant, right? So there should be four, yeah. <laughs> four things to look at. So there's a social, social decision line and then a, a, a government decision line, right? And so the more control you want each of those things to be decided by for the government, the further to one side or the other you go. So if you wanted like total government control of like, of everything that the government runs, like let the government run all of the functional stuff, right? Then you do be all the way at the top. And then if you want the government to dictate all social decisions, like you can or can't do a thing for yourself, then you go all the way to the one. So then you did a full in the top corner or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, so what we see ourselves having is that we really only have government representation for decisions where it's big government, as big of a government as you can possibly get, because that keeps those people in power. 
and then social decisions left or right, right? That's really our left right spectrum is really high on the government control uh, for uh, as big of a government as you can get, basically bigger military, uh, medical care, more social programs, things like that. It's like all the way at the top and then left or right on also personal decision making. That's really where we span. We have nothing that's at the bottom, which says make the government as small as possible and, uh, you know, reduce the systems in which you expect someone else to just take care of for you. Yeah. And so that's kind of where libertarians go to where they are less of the government involvement in your social decision making and smaller government, right? So, hey, make the government as small as you possibly can. It should handle things that we all decide, like, absolutely, this is a thing that is absolutely necessary and we need to have a function that's provided, right? But but is only based on that, as small as possible. Um, like, a lot of libertarians would say, like, no Department of Education, no medical, like, nothing. Like, all yeah. of that goes away, right? The only things the government is absolutely required for you to provide is, like, defense, and international relations like because those are the things that like individual states and me and you can't do like i can't just go to france and make decisions for the united states it's not an option so there needs to be someone who does that between countries and then we need defense of ourselves also against those potential other threats everything else someone else should figure out like that's the kind of the way a lot of the very the very far like because there is even within parties right? oh There's yeah the very far people so so th that would be like the super extreme and one of the things so for me personally that i significantly disagree with within libertarians is the nap right so there's this thing called a nap which is a a non-aggression pact and every libertarian is supposed to sign this which says there is no situation in which aggressing against someone else is okay i'm like there's no way i can there's no way i can accept that i'm in the military for one yeah. like, i obviously personally don't agree with that already um i think that it should be as is the political agenda and when you look at like political spectrum of decision making and options right it needs to be the last thing that you do but there are situations in which violence against another is absolutely necessary, right? If you were watching someone else, you know, about to kill some kid, you you are absolutely within your rights to execute violence against that person to stop them from doing violence against someone else. Yep. To protect them. And so I can't, I, but some libertarians would be like, sign the nap. Nope. I'm just going to watch it happen. That's their decision. That's their problem. Like, yeah. Oh my God, and that's, no, uh, okay wasn't a, Gary Johnson was a libertarian, right? Yes, that was so. He is the one libertarian candidate for president that has garnered more votes than anybody else, and that was in 2016. Even this year, Joe Jorgensen didn't get as much as Gary Johnson. Did. I was going to vote for Gary Johnson last election, but once I saw like that they were giving him equal time for anything, like they do with any third party candidate since Ross Perot, I was just yep. like, you know what? I, I I didn't participate in the last couple of elections because of that. But Gary Johnson was my guy last time. But then I also yeah. watched the libertarian uh, debates. And it was like what you're talking about. They had some people on there that were so insane about like deregulation and just like not doing certain things. It's just like, I don't know, man. Like Gary Johnson, he was, he seemed like way more even tempered. Yeah, middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they were just like, yeah, just no regulation for like gasoline and like, you know, I was, I'm like, you can't leave it up to these corporations. Will explode. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like, my, my, my concept, right, is kind of similar to Gary's. And if there was a there was a candidate in 2016 who I supported more than Gary Johnson, and that was Austin Peterson. I don't know if you saw him during the debates. I did not. He was my dude. Like, And he still does the Libertarian podcasts. He actually is a, uh, a, like a voice on a radio station and holds this one-hour Libertarian chat every day. And it's actually kind of cool to listen to some of his topics. But, like, yeah, as much, like, as you can allow things to be 
able to run free, then you do that. But like regulation of industry and things like that for the safety of people falls within that parameter. Like, hey, if if that company isn't told you need to make sure that your people are safe, then they are potentially risking other people's lives, which is a part of libertarian concepts where as long as you're whatever you're doing doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Yeah, that's like the real basic fundamental concept of it. So um, my brother lives in Oregon, right? So <laughs> Oregon just said, hey, I, I don't care as long as you're not carrying an amount of drugs equal to you showing a clear intent to distribute this and be the person providing this to people, right? And then potentially injuring other people because that's kind of the way that works. Like you saying, yeah. I'm going to sell this to you even though I know it probably is going to hurt you being meth or heroin or any of these other heavy drugs. All drugs in Oregon, completely decriminalized. Like if you have a small amount on you, just enough for you to personally use, not a crime. Now, now you can, now you're required. If I if I'm a police officer and I arrest you and find you with that on you, you're gonna be court mandated, like drug rehabilitation. Like, do you understand that this stuff is very bad for you and you probably shouldn't be doing these things? To make sure to educate the populace. But as long as you're not risking anybody else, I don't care. So my brother, my brother was like. But so, so if there's a woman sitting on a couch shooting up heroin and her kids are sitting there watching TV, that's completely okay. It's like, no, 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 there's lots because of now she's endangering her children. Yeah. Like, now she's endangering the children and that's a problem. So I think it's hard sometimes to find that line and completely understand it because a lot of people do go extreme. Like I don't care. Anarchy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, so. it's just like, I'm glad you brought that up because like that, the organ thing is, is important because, a lot of people here in America, they seem to think that they have this negative view on drugs as if the human whole existence has ever existed without drugs. We haven't. I right. mean, there's, we produce drugs in our brain all the time, constantly. And um, when you talk about when somebody does something off the rails and they're on drugs, well, other laws cover that. You know what I mean? If somebody does violence upon somebody else, then that's harm upon somebody else. And we, we have laws for that. But if they're just getting high to be happy, like, I don't really care. Like, I don't want to infringe upon whatever sorts of morals that I have on this person when they're just trying to alter their reality. Don't hurt anybody else. I don't really care. And I never really got um, the whole anti-drug thing when uh, America is so, like, super pro-drugs, but only for, like, two drugs. Like, we're super pro-tobacco and alcohol, even though... Yeah, and caffeine. That's another one. That's good. Most people don't even consider caffeine a drug. I mean, and to me, sugar's a drug, and that's like another one that's big. And people don't really seem to care because they're they've been conditioned that yeah. way. But it can be the same way with these with these other drugs. If if you take them in a way that where you're a productive member of society, um, you're gonna be fine. There's plenty of people that get high every day. I mean, I drink om- almost daily. You know, except for sober October, take the whole month off. You know. Nice. Um, but there's people that, you know, take, uh, methamphetamines every day through a prescription, you know, through, uh, what is it called? Adderall, stuff like that, or, or amphetamines. And nobody seems to care because it was prescribed to them. But as soon as you get it from somebody else that is, doesn't have a doctor's license, then they seem to care. And I, I don't really get it. You know, you can be productive and, and use drugs. <laughs> so, so like, I mean, like you mentioned, a lot of that's regulation, right? So it's so that the state can say you're getting it within a specific parameter. You get something that's safe for you to use. You get something that we say you need to be productive, right? So like that's the Adderall concept. Like you're going to get this drug that we know is a drug, but you specifically have some, you know, thing going on, which says that actually helps you be productive. And a doctor goes, yeah, yeah, this will definitely help them. Um, and so that was kind of my stance on marijuana as, as like long before 
now, which is, I think more than half the states already have like open marijuana logs to some extent, right? Yeah. Um, was, look, what we need to understand is, especially if you're a government entity, you're like, have any realistic perspective of what it is you do, like completely legalize this, like regulate it, tax it. Like, <laughs> why would you not make sure that the people who are taking it is safe? Like they're getting something that's safe that you say, hey, it has to be within parameters or now those people selling it are within, you know, are able to be fined. F fines is a whole other topic we can talk about because fines are really only punishment for poor people, but yeah. that's a whole other Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what's a what's a $250 fine to a millionaire or a billionaire? No, they don't care. What would be a million dollar fine to a billionaire? Well, that's actually what I, I wanted to rewind. Sorry, you just reminded me um, about when it comes to like deregulation and people like with the, the libertarian, the, the extreme libertarian argument would be, you know, say don't regulate anybody, but the, the market will figure it out. You know, obviously, if somebody does something bad, the market won't buy the products anymore. It's like, well, that's not really how in reality it works because there, there's been there there's never been a single fine that's been big enough to make a large impact on a large corporation if you take a uh, purdue pharma for instance they they're responsible for probably hundreds of thousands of deaths just from oxycontin and mm -hmm. what was their fine it was like a couple of couple of billion dollars I didn't think you know, it was like even a billion. 180 billion dollar was it? annually. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they probably made trillions over this, you know, over the the span of this this single drug. So you find them maybe a percent. Like, are are you serious? Like that that is not the way that you're supposed to regulate anything, and that's and it shows that even with regulation, um, there there is no you have to go beyond like a reasonable kind of financial burden to really affect these corporations. I don't think that um, any sort of libertarian would be comfortable with that. Like, are, are you going to hit them with a trillion dollar fine? Is that... <laughs> so, and I was thinking about this the other day because I saw that and it really made me think, and I know we're not on topic specifically here, but... We'll get there. Like, <laughs> the, uh, the fines for the being only for the poor thing, as with other things, if there was a metric we could use to evaluate, like individual wealth or whatever entity we're trying to find right and then make the fines always always as a percentage of whatever that value is right so if you're that corporation that makes a trillion dollars a year and it's a two percent fine because it's a small violation like that's a huge amount yeah. but if it's me and you with the same violation like it's still two percent but like the dollar amount gets way smaller because if you try to find me a billion dollars uh, <laughs> i'm gonna yeah. pay that out for the rest of, the rest of five lifetimes but you know, instead, that's a that's a hundred thousand dollar fine because I was you know irresponsible with chemicals and on a plant that I'm running and I'm a small company trying to get started and I probably should have paid closer attention. That's different, right? Than the trillion dollar company that knows for sure they have an army of lawyers. They know what they're doing, um, and they can take that. They can make that risk assessment and and take that risk. And yeah, so if the fines were all always a percentage of whatever metric we would use to like measure the wealth or the value or the you know income because the problem i have with income as a specific metric would be most of the ceos aren't going to have an income right that is any kind of number that actually represents the value that they're able to put to bear on any topic if they wanted to because they probably have a salary that's one dollar and then are living on dividends of something else yeah so they don't look like it doesn't look like income so we would have to find a way to measure actual like total income power or whatever you want to call it. Like, and that's really hard. Well, it's not it, an easy thing we've done. And it gets even more complicated when you come to when, 
how do I put this? We basically made corporations like people. And so you yeah. can sue the corporation, but you can't sue the people within the corporation. So it gets really complicated because when you sue a corporation, they can just take the, you know, whatever they want out of like their stock money, you know what I mean? Or whatever other means that they have. They have all this other yeah. revenue they can use to, to cover their losses. Like you said, they have a team of lawyers that do a, you know, risk loss analysis and they, they, and they know, Hey, even if this kills, we'll say 10,000 people, we're good. We can pay like the revenue we're going to get from this product. We're fine. It's well within our, our means of, of revenue to, uh, to do this. But I think that's one of the things that needs to be modified within uh, probably the, uh, well, within capitalism. So I think that need, there needs to be a change within capitalism in general. I think that um, the way it was supposed to be run may have worked in theory, but I think at this point, what we're seeing more and more, especially today, especially during COVID times, like we need a capitalism 2.0 and it needs to like, it needs to be supplemented with um, some other ideas. I'm not saying get rid of capitalism altogether because for a lot of people it works, but right now a lot of people actually ain't working at all. So, but I'm not saying let's go to communism. I'm not saying anything like that, but it, it just needs to be changed. The issue that most conversations face is the same that we talked about earlier, which is an extremism view on anything, right? So if you read like Marx and you, you look at like the most purest, like communism concepts, there's no way that works, right? Yeah. People have tried a company, like entire nations have fallen apart because they tried to go hundred percent pure on the concept. And the same thing applies to capitalism. I'm sorry, libertarians who feel that way, but the same thing applies. If you go 100 percent extreme to like the other end of it, where there's no regulation, there's no management, there's no nothing, then you don't have a workforce, right? You don't have yeah. people who can do these things that you need. So there has to be a give and take. There has to be a balance to these things. Like I'm feeling like, um, you know, maybe I, I just saw Ahsoka Tano. So, you know, I'm feeling like gray. There's got to be a balance to things, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't go 100% to one end or the other. Complete and old utter freedom is also a bad thing, right? Yeah. Because not everybody has the same mindset as me and you. And not everybody can be trusted to make the right decision. And so there has to be a bit of an expectation, right? Like, yes, I expect you to do these things because that's what we as a group decide are appropriate within our societal group. And that's how, you know, that's how these rules get made. It's like, Hey, that's not okay. We don't like that. Let's, let's say, Hey, we all agree. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Everybody. That sounds good. Cool. Don't poke each other in the eye with sticks. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, totally agree. You know. It's just, yeah. People just, I, I, you know, what's it's weird to me is that I think most people in America, they don't really understand how capitalism works currently and how it was supposed to work. It, like mm -hmm. we're also we're running upon um, this weird momentum of ideas that were made like 300 plus years ago. And we're just we like just think about it for like logically. We haven't had an amendment to the Constitution. And you might be able to actually tell me the actual year, but it's been at least 40 years. It might be more than that. <laughs> Is it 87? 87. Yep. And do you know what, the, what that amendment was? Because I have no idea. Yep. So it goes. Hey. Boom. Segway. Yeah. Very well done. So, <laughs> so it was originally uh, Amendment the Second to the Constitution, right? So the original Bill of Rights was 12 total amendments. So when they, they founded the they created the Constitution, uh, there was a lot of arguments about like, this thing is still really busted and doesn't specify enough stuff. So that's how the original Bill of Rights came about. They're like, let's specify at least a few real, real agreed upon rules. And what's really interesting in, in, compared to today um, those every single one of those amendments was 100% unanimous from all 13 states, right? They, they couldn't, you couldn't pass a, an amendment 
without 100% unanimous vote. So that that was kind of one of the things. Okay, so it might be that internal to Maryland, it was a, a 60% vote agreed to that or whatever. But because Maryland said yes, all 13 states said yes, that's an approved amendment, right? So uh, there originally were 12. So amendment the first and amendment the second didn't get ratified by all 13. So they didn't become amendments to the constitution, right? So then now the first amendment to the constitution was actually technically amendment the third. <laughs> so like our first amendment rights are really our third amendment rights, but no one wants to hear that. So what was ratified in, in um, gosh, I'm saying 87, but it might be wrong, but in recently, right? In the last 30 or 40 years, <laughs> the original second amendment to the constitution was ratified. You're gonna look it up. Okay. Yeah, I can look it up. No worries. <laughs> It was to say that the Congress currently in session right now cannot vote into effect immediately a pay raise for Congress. Something as simple <laughs> as like me and you sitting here right now cannot say, hey, tomorrow you want more money? Yeah, let's get more money. Okay, cool. Everybody agrees. Yeah, more money. Cool. We all get a pay raise. So that was originally one of the original things like, hey, you only can vote into effect a, a pay raise for the next Congress, right? So whenever the next Congress begins, that's when that pay raise goes into effect. You may not have a seat. You may get voted out of your seat. You know that. That's fine because we're looking at pay averages and who's here and what we can manage. And we say, yeah, we, we probably need to raise it for the next group who comes in because we're all kind of not getting paid enough. So that got ratified recently. So that was in, sorry, it was in 1997, it says. 97 instead of 87. 97. Okay. So wow. it wasn't 40 years. I was being a bit extreme. But there's been a lot of shit that always has happened since 97, like the goddamn internet. <laughs> you know, it, it was very minute. I mean, I was on the internet way before yeah. 97. But... I think in 97, I was playing Major Mud, right? Text RPG. Did you ever play Major Mud? <laughs> no, no, but I was playing. I wasn't playing StarCraft yet. I was probably still playing Warcraft 2 at the yeah, time. Yeah, I was playing Warcraft 2. So, yeah, because yeah, StarCraft came out in 98. I knew that because 90... I had to stop playing because I was ranked at StarCraft, to, uh, StarCraft, and then I joined the Marine Corps and then I stopped playing. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, and then. Diablo 2 and all that fun stuff. Those are good old games. Yeah. So, but, yeah, we've had, you know, a lot of years where we have literally have not changed the way that this country really runs. And yeah. major things have happened since then. Yeah. And, I mean, so so one thing that is kind of one of the topics that I think that you wanted me to talk about and I wanted to talk to is the idea that that First Amendment, the original First Amendment, was to say that the House of Representatives will always be proportional to the population of the country, right? So whatever the population of the United States is, the amount of representatives in the House of Representatives will be proportional to that population. Oh, that's really interesting. Because if you go by actual population and not by electoral college, then it would be pretty solid. It would be more blue throughout most of our Right time. now, yeah, yeah. The way right the now, political yeah. party system works that we have, you would end up with more representatives from more blue areas because the cities in very densely populated states are underrepresented by comparison to rural cities and yeah. states, right? Which is, um, which is, it's good and bad in my opinion, yeah. because I, I, you know, I understand both sides of the arguments. Like, listen, my, um, cause you know, I live in a densely populated area, have my whole life, pretty much my whole life. Um, my issues that I have living in the Bay area of California is way different from somebody's, uh, issues that are, are living on a farm in Iowa. Yeah. So and that's that's valid, and there's there's really no argument there. <laughs> so the the original House of Representatives um, version of this amendment, right, was that 
the House of Representatives will always have a ratio of one representative for every 50,000 citizens. Okay. Um, and then the Senate changed it to say one for every 60,000. They were like, hey, make it a little bit bigger. So then at the very last minute with the Continental Congress there, when they drafted it all up and then sent it out to the states, they changed it again. Because I guess the group who was there decided, hold on, we need to make a little bit of change because what about you know trying to be forward thinkers like a lot of them were? They're like, But it's going to grow to the point where this number is going to be ridiculous, right? Yeah. So this was the way it was originally formatted. And one thing I'll tell you and, and anybody who's listening, you can do right now is pull up this website, okay? It's called 30tac1000.org. .org. So it's 30,000.org. 30,000.org? So in there, there's a whole lot of detail about this topic. Um, they've written pamphlets the same way, you know, Alexander Hamilton did and trying to cover these topics. They referenced the Federalist Paper and all these other topics that we talked about at the time to try to reemphasize the fact that the intent was always that the House of Representatives was going to kind of be pretty freaking big. Like we get that. Like it's supposed to be the voice of the average person, right? That's the actual yeah. representative democracy portion of our republic what is supposed to be that way it should be crazy people should be pulling out their sword canes and stabbing each other because that <laughs> happened right <laughs> did you know that well, i mean it's america so you, i'm not surprised <laughs> on congress floor bull, yeah. dude pulls a sword cane and like stabbed another congressman so oh, did, he, did he die no he's fine oh, okay. they have they have like doctors right there <laughs> but like this is supposed to be a little bit of a madhouse right these yeah. are supposed to be the me and you, like, hey, you know what, I want to run for Congress next year? Let's go. And we represent our small community of people. Um, well, you know what's funny is that so, when we see, like, these burgeoning, you know, democratic uh, countries. I think it was yeah. Singapore or something like that. I remember seeing like, a couple years ago, like, somebody got into, like, drag out fight, like, fist fight on, like, their Congress floor. And it's like, yeah. all right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, where's that passion in our government right now, right? Uh, Nowhere. Yeah, we're not... You know, AOC pretty much is the only one who shows that kind of passion. And I, I, I mean, again, her personal like views on things, maybe I don't agree with, but I love her passion about stuff. Like wanting to see things get done is the way the house is supposed to be. Guess which house she's in. Isn't AOC, where's she, where's she from? She's a, she's in New York. Um, is she in the house? I got to remember. Yeah, I think she is sure she's in the house. representative for, it's some district in New York, I'm pretty New York sure. District, so. Say again? Anyway, yeah, New York's 14th district. So yeah. She's from New York. But it's like, that's the passion you expect from the house to where people are fired up and going crazy because, for one, they're they're there for a short term, right? They know that their election is a shorter time frame than the Senate. And it's expected that these are supposed to be so many there that it's a cheaper seat, to be completely honest, right? The idea is um, the Senate is floor seats, and the House of Representatives is all of the friggin' stands, right? You're sitting in the stands. You're up in the nosebleeds. That's supposed to be the cheap seats. Um, so because they were kind of trying to be forward thinking, they rewrote this whole thing as it was going to get ratified instead of trying to run it through the House and the Senate again. And so it's it's written in there on 30,000.org because – and they, they called it 30,000.org because it starts with saying the House of Representatives will be proportional to the population of the United States – to be not less than one representative for every 30,000 people until the House of Representatives is equal to 100 representatives. Once it reaches 100 representatives, 
increase the ratio basically, right, to one to every 40,000 and continue to do so as you increase by hundreds. So as soon as you reach 200, increase to one to every 40 and just go on and on, right? Yeah. And, then, and no one understood what the hell they were talking about. That was like so confusing. You're like, I don't know how to do this math. Yeah. So at the moment in which we've now hit 100, and we change the ratio, the ratio would mean then we drop under 100. And now do we go back? Oh, like, like, how do we do this? How do we do this in practicality? Like, how do we actually implement this rule? Yeah. No one could agree. And so it didn't get ratified, right? So like the intent there was though, that this was kind of the, it, it, let it grow a little. So the ratio is not insane because one to every 30,000 right now would end up with like 30,000 representatives. Yeah. I didn't do the math on that one. But if you did it the math to say, based on the proportion <laughs> of the population right now, we would literally have more than 6,000 representatives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a lot. Yes, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Uh, you know, I, I actually, you know, the funny thing to me is that I honestly think that we should um, get rid of either the House or the Senate. I don't understand why we have both. I really don't. Okay. So there's, <laughs> Maybe you can break it down for me. That, right? yeah. um, there is a reason, and I'll, I'll tell you why. So there was an anecdote, and I'll tell it in the same story way that it's told to many people. So Thomas Jefferson wasn't around, right? So he was off being the ambassador to France for many, many years. He comes back, and this this Continental Congress has gone into effect, and they have this Bill of Rights in front of him, and they have this form of government. They're like, okay, they're trying to explain it to him. And Jefferson's looking at it, doing the same thing you're doing. He's like, why the hell do we have two different parts of Congress? Like, what is what is the point of this thing when we have elected representatives here what is this other one for why is that there so there's there's two reasons right one is that that is providing equal power to all the states so there's equal power inside the senate for every single state no matter how what your population is it allows you in wyoming to still have the same power in the senate as any of the other states because wyoming's priorities like you said are different than new york's so at least in the senate we have equal power to everybody else we became a state we have rights therefore we have the same power as everybody else in the united states So there's that one. But what Washington says to Jefferson was, why do you have, and none of us drink tea this way, but why do you have this saucer for your tea? And Jefferson's like, well, it's used to cool the tea off. Because believe it or not, you would pour the tea into your saucer and drink it from the saucer after it cooled down. You didn't drink straight out of the cup. Anyway. (laughs) So it's designed to cool cool things down, right? So that's that that ratio difference. You have this voice of the population, whatever the moment's new hot topic is, they're angry about it and they want things changed right now. But then the Senate can be there being like, well, hold on, let's talk about this. Is this really better for everybody? Is this good for Wyoming and good for Wisconsin and good for New York? And so... They were designed to cool things down, to slow the process. So they literally are doing their job right now. <laughs> like Senate is supposed to slow things down. The problem is we don't have the fire in the house the way we're supposed to. So both are not pushing things. So you're supposed to get the house pounding on the door enough at the Senate before finally they go, okay, okay, yes, clearly this is a problem and we really do want to take care of it. Um, okay, so, so, that, that's, that's so why that's there. in that scenario, then what is the purpose of Congress? as well then they, they seem like it's all like three redundant things so the by congress the problem is so the terms right so congress means both so congress is house and senate. oh okay 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 I mean house right no actually I, I didn't mean congress but apparently apparently i spoke out of uh out of ignorance so no yeah. anyway so when people say congress we generally are talking 
about both the Senate and the House, which are two parts of our Congress. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. How did I not fucking realize that before? Anyway, yeah. we'll just keep rolling. But yeah, it seems to me it's just like it's it, right now. It seems broken. What you're talking about makes yeah. sense, but I think that previous to literally this past three four years, I'd be like, listen, we just need to fucking vote on everything. And as Americans, like we have the technology yeah. to do it, no matter what anybody tells you, the technology is there. We can do it um, to vote on every single thing that we want in America as individual citizens. Yes. But yes. now what I'm seeing uh, in over these past years is that a lot of my fellow Americans are so easily gullible to misinformation that I do not want them to cast a vote on fucking anything. Like, yeah. <laughs> like seriously, like, um, my, my misstep with not knowing the Congress, um, that it was both combined. Yeah. That's yeah. stupid. And I will totally admit to that, but I actually read what I'm voting on. You know, yeah. when somebody tells me, um, something about, you know, like some, um, voter fraud, I'm doing research on the, where's the voter fraud? Like I'm looking for evidence. That's what I want to know. But when you show literally no evidence and when there's literally, um, Roughly a little less than half of our country believes in that misinformation. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> are you serious? Them, right? Just yeah. because you said so. Yeah, like that's what I'm like. Okay, so maybe we do need these people, but at the same time, those same people are just as they're also a lot of them are paid for too. But they're just as gullible or beholden to their to their party alone, and that's mm-hmm. where we get down to. I think where we can actually sort of fix things is um really breaking down this two-party system so i think that's where most of it comes from because it's really easy for um anybody to do like a binary type deal where it's either on or off you know you're either going to believe on this side and then totally believe the other or the other way around and that's it's so easy to play on those sorts of emotions but i think when you have other options out there i think that people get a a clearer view of what's really going on i I went back and watched uh, ross perot's um commercial remember when he, he bought airtime back in the day to like breaking down like how um america's like financial system was basically fucked and it's still like everything and he's almost everything that he says in that video you can just watch it on youtube right now just look up uh ross perot um commercial and it's like literally it's not really a commercial it's like 30 minutes long probably more than that he has a powerpoint presentation before those powerpoints he's he had like graphs and charts and i was like he broke down what was the problem, and um, he got pretty close. He got the closest any third third party candidate would ever was ever going to get to becoming president. And after what he did, what happened? Never would have. They downplay all of the third party candidates, all of them. Any kind of new idea, they downplay it. Even even if you're on um, those certain you know two party candidates, like I'll, I'll bring up Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang had some really good ideas. It wasn't just UBI, but what did the DNC do? They just, they wouldn't give him airtime. Yeah, they wouldn't talk to him. I was just like, what is going on here? (laughs) Yeah, like, so uh, talking about using power, it's probably one of those, like, slide-by-slide circular projector things that we used to rotate and had the slides in it. You remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, no, he had the actual, like, (laughs) print-ups, like, on the the tripods. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he was a billionaire, but they didn't have that technology back then. <laughs> so, no. Yeah, you could, you could have had it, but it just didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think, honestly, if Ross Perot would have became president, um, it would have 
probably would have probably been a, a more secure America. <laughs> like seriously, like just from a financial means, because I think you broke down like basically like the, the Glass-Steagall Act and like how, um, what's the Glass-Steagall Act? It was a couple of things that he broke down, like how we were not paying off our debts and we're just ballooning up this this deficit and nobody's paying attention to it. And look at today, like we're, I think it's like $22 trillion last time I checked in debt. Like, Can you check out the like the debt counter thing that like sits there and counts it up? I don't check it daily because right now it'd be depressing because um, <laughs> it's probably closer to $27 trillion. <laughs> like by now. She's got bigger. Yeah, well, it, it's because I think uh, most Americans, they don't understand. So when somebody says something's free, that comes from the government it's not free and no. I, I and every single politician um doesn't want to really talk about that like that that's your taxpayer dollars that are doing those things so if you want to talk about um we'll take health care for instance it's not free health care all right you're paying for the health care it's just through a different means you're just not paying for it directly you know you, you're paying through it through taxes through some like really weird you put your your money in the void and in that mm -hmm. void comes out your health care but um and we just trust that whoever's in between that void system is taking care of us. Yeah. And they, and they also, I'll say, well, this is a good example because this is what I think of as somebody that is in, I've been in the capitalist class of wealth in my lifetime. I'm not there right now, but, um, COVID. <laughs> no, it's not because of COVID. Actually, I, I've lost a little bit of money, but when I went to Iraq is actually when I went to that capitalist class, really easy to do. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> when you go go there as a contractor and you'll 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 make a lot of money. Anyway, um when you think about like uh universal healthcare, which I, I am totally for universal healthcare, but what I started thinking about is what is the minimum amount of service that I'm gonna get? Because my, the service that I get um is pretty good. And I do not wanna get um do, do they have Kaiser where you're at? Kaiser uh, Healthcare? The, like from where I'm from, I'm sure that it's around here. But again, I'm Tricare. I don't. Okay, so that's all out of your know. purview. But would you want Tricare your entire life? So it depends, right? Tricare Active Duty. Oh, actually, has a whole lot yeah. Of flexibility. Yeah. But like, if I was talking VA benefit type stuff, or, and moving to like a yes, a Tricare like Prime pay into, and then use only these doctors, and then it gets a lot more complicated and. There, like you're saying that the what you pay for is what you get. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so if you pay nothing, that's the healthcare you're gonna get. Yeah, and that, that that's what I'm worried about. It's like, listen, if we go to universal healthcare, if I'm I don't want to get like a minimum service. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I want to at least have the option to get my cat my quote unquote Cadillac clan back. You know where mm -hmm. I, where I can you know if, if I happen to get hurt or sick or something like that, I don't want to have to prove to you know whatever doctor that uh i need you know whatever else that i need like i'll give a perfect example i do jujitsu well i used to until covid um and i got a cauliflower ear like really bad and it was like blowing up my girlfriend got really angry i was like all right i'll get my ear fixed so i went to my my normal doctor my primary care guy i was like listen can you just drain my ear and he's like i could train you i could drain your ear but um you could probably just go to a plastic surgeon man he's like just just do that he's like you got a ppo just go to a plastic surgeon he's he's like they, they do a better job than i would i was like okay so He's like, just look it up in our system, and you'll be fine. So that's what I did. It's <laughs> looked it up because I go to I go to usually go to Stanford, and uh, went to Stanford, went to plastic surgeon. With you know, I think it was like a week later, my ear was you know fixed. 
So it is, and it'll never have cauliflower, cauliflower ear ever again because of the way mm. they fixed it. But if you go to like the VA, like if I had cauliflower ear, first of all, just getting an appointment yeah. to get that fixed. Yeah. And that, that's what most people probably don't think about. Just being nice. Yeah. It, it, I think it, it's because most of Americans are, are used to living a, a life of scarcity. And, and that's a, a major problem here in America that most people don't really think about is that when you're in a scarcity mindset, like these issues are they're not even really issues to you at all. You don't even, they're not even in your purview because you're just worried about um, putting food on the table for your kids or just for yourself, you know, but once yeah. you get into an abundance, which is where I want all of America to get to as, as a area of abundance, um, yeah. you can nitpick shit like that, you know? But, it's, you know, it's how do we get there? And that's part of why I bring up this topic. And I think we need, you know, actionable structural changes to the way our government runs at a fundamental level in order to even be able to talk about making changes like this in a way that is academic and actually benefits people. And and that's one of the so 30,000.org breaks that down a lot, like the getting the government bigger. And they do say they don't have a problem with 6,000 representatives. Yeah. So, you know, an obvious question is like, how do we fit 6,000 representatives into one building? You don't need to. <laughs> if you're saying that every single individual citizen can vote on something, I don't need you all in the same room to debate on stuff. Yeah. Um, one of their, one of their like, concepts which i kind of like for two reasons is to have um, like five different federal cities right identify these cities say those are now federal cities and they house a certain portion of the house of representatives and those representatives from that region like meet there then you're on one closed loop like point-to-point -point type connections on a network that you and i can talk about like okay that's gonna be a lot more secure we're not just talking about just everybody voting from home who knows what that dude's wi-fi password is right <laughs> yeah you are at this congress building and you go to your House of Representatives site and you vote there. And we know at least that network is secure. And you have committees in your region, your region votes. We'd have to figure out how to do the time zone stuff. But I mean, it's not unsolvable problems. But it also means that parts of our federal government aren't all in Washington, D.C. as one target for our enemies, potentially, right? Yeah, I, I never understood why it's, <laughs> they go to like one special building. It's so stupid to me. Um, have you it, watched the like the last survivor or what is the, <laughs> the lone survivor? <laughs> yeah, it it seems so. It seems such a ridiculous waste of resources to put them all in yeah. one place. You Designated know? survivor. Yeah, yeah. Was, was that with uh, Kiefer Sutherland? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the HUD secretary. He, he, he'll always be Jack Bauer to me. I'm just just saying. It's true. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Twenty four was great. If, I mean, if you like torture, but I mean, in that show, it's great. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that. I'll, I'll, you know, in today's society, it's like what we, what I'll come back to is that we have these really old um, ideas that we're just riding the riding the momentum on, and I think that most people are too scared to to change them. Yeah, and it's like they need to change. Like we're we're already seeing it right now with um, not changing old ideas in a modern society. Like when it comes, like if COVID back in. So we, we, people talk about this, the Spanish flu, you know, when we talk about COVID. This, that, that was in like, what, 1911 or something like that? There are, yeah, yeah, back then. there are so many more people today. There are so much more, there's so much more technology today. And to keep using like what we, what they did back then to today 
is so ridiculous. And then we we have these old, um, you know, governmental rules from way way before that that we still have not modified at all. And I'm not saying change everything, but it's very obvious that things need to get changed. Like there are so many people that are out of work right now because of what our government has said, and we are not financially helping them at all. And then we're wondering why people are continuing to break, um, you know, COVID quarantine rules. Like I'm very fortunate to where, you know, both me and my girlfriend can work from home. And, and my the the main reason why I don't go anywhere is because my my girlfriend has had three three open heart surgeries in her life, and so. Like, my life is on lockdown no matter what. I understand most yeah. people don't have those sorts of medical issues, but um, if if they, if they the government would have demanded a lockdown and then financially helped the people, people would have been way more receptive to doing a lockdown. But if, if you're telling me that, you know, yeah, I have to stay at home and I'm also not getting paid, like, what is the what do you expect people to do? Yeah. It, it, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like to to me, like the easiest way to, to to fix all of this would have been to like in the first like two weeks, would have been to lock everything down, test everybody. If somebody came out positive, you do contact trace them, and then you test them, and then you rinse, wash, and repeat. But they didn't do any of that in the beginning, so now we're in this weird limbo to where you're making us all lock down again because we couldn't test everybody, and now people aren't getting paid, and we're gonna get, we're gonna lose all these benefits in December. For the folks that lost their jobs, we're going to lose um, medical benefits, unemployment benefits, um, the, uh, what was it? It's the mortgage, like the mortgage freezing or whatever, or rent freezing or whatever. All stuff's going to go away in December. They unfreeze in January. Yeah. And I don't, I don't understand like how our government, I don't really have much faith in all of our government at this point in time. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then a lot of people's natural response when we talk about the healthcare thing is then so do we want to put healthcare in their hands? Like we can't trust them to handle this. We want to put all of our healthcare in their hands and they can't handle this kind of a crisis. Like yeah. are they managing these systems well? I, I don't know. They need uh there needs to be a reckoning. And I, I don't have a lot of faith in, in Joe Biden. Sorry, I don't. Um but it I have the same hopes for him that I had for President Trump. Obviously he's on my shit list too. But uh, at least uh, Joe Biden's going to start off on a, a fresher coat of paint, so yeah. to speak. You know, so I hope that he's going to get the right people in the job. He's not going to fire them, you know, randomly. And we're going to get this in hand. But at this time, there, there's been so much damage done t- towards the faith of, of uh, from Americans towards the government that I don't know how to fix it, you know. But, I mean, and I think what I'm talking about is a part of that, right? So if more of us are a part of it, if it's easier to elect your congressperson and you actually know them because there's no way. So there's two things. The the average member of the House of Representatives right now represents 750,000 people. Wow. There's no way I know 750,000 people. That's no, ridiculous. No. Or what they want. or And how, how do I voice their concerns. It's not possible. Not only that, but the average house of representative seat costs $1.7 million to win. I don't have that. You don't have that. The average school teacher doesn't have that. So the only way you get there is you get bought, right? Yeah. Someone pays, whether it's a party that you then have to tout their line or some company helps fund your party to get you there and you have to do what it is that they wanted. No one is actually looking out for the people in our government. So we have this illusion that is inappropriate for one that we make all of the decisions because we choose these people, right? 
but then we really don't have a choice because it's all about the money like it always is so in a republic the reason you're supposed to have these different elements and the reason we have like a senate and and a house is they actually are two separate parts of the republic right even though they're both congress um what you want to tie together closer is Senate and the Supreme Court, really. Those are actually more closely related in the standard Republic triangle. Um, quick quick bit on the Republic, I guess, then. Um, and then you have the executive, which is independent, individual on its own, can make some decisions, right? So the House of Representatives is our only vestige in the federal government for the actual voice of the people, and it's gone, right? We don't have people there that who are the average person saying farmer joe from iowa has a voice he doesn't at all just because there's representatives from iowa but they're bought by their party and they are only going to fight for what their party wants sure they might try to put a bridge in iowa or a highway through iowa or put some military contract into iowa but that isn't actually advocating for the support of their people yeah so that i think fixes a lot of those other problems because you get us there like you get the average voice there and it makes it easier. It makes it more accessible. It makes it like, oh, Steve's running. Oh, shoot, I'll vote for Steve, right? Let me let me run. I actually care. I now want to go and vote because I actually know this person. I've seen their stuff. Um, where right now, no one wants to vote because they're disenfranchised, right? None of us think that our vote counts because it doesn't. Like we're we're all self aware enough to look and go, I, I didn't actually make this decision. Yeah, and I think that also uh, most of Congress. Congress as a whole, it's not really a, a decent slice of life, which is what you're what you're saying, is that we have a, like I think the vast majority of them, or at least the majority, are mostly lawyers and people that are you know political, of some sort of political background, but that's not most of America, like not at all. Um, I don't understand why we can't mandate. This is why this is kind of controversial, but I don't really give a shit. I don't understand why we have a president. At this point in time, it should be uh, to me. It should be like a like a council of some sort of people from different uh, walks of life, and it should be like you know scientists, mathematicians, some lawyers, yes, you know, other sorts of people that can talk about a certain thing. But having like one head monkey guy, like our woman or whatever, like I don't understand why we give we hand all this power to one person, power that keeps growing every single time we get a new president, which. Is very whole other problem. Yeah, it's just like man, I called it. I didn't understand it until um, President Obama got elected. I, I sort of understood it when uh, when Bush got elected because I, I voted for uh, President Bush twice. Um, I didn't vote for Barack Obama at all because we had different political views. He's a decent dude, I think, but I just didn't agree with his political views at the time. But when he started doing these executive orders to like push these things through. And it's like, especially when it came to the Affordable Health Care Act, and don't get me wrong, I know I just talked about we should have universal, universal health care. We do. We should have that. But when you have one guy signing an executive order or just pushing things through all of these systems that we have, it's like, huh, wait until the, wait until the next guy that comes through. Because all my Democrat friends are like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is great. I'm like, okay, the next guy is going to be on the right because the pendulum swings. All right? And when the next guy on the right that comes through – and it starts pushing through all these executive orders, like, see how you're going to feel. You know, and sure enough, that's what happened. You know, President Trump came in, he signs all executive orders, even though most of them are pretty much mean, meaningless, but he's still doing these things um, that I don't think one person should have that much power. They, I think they need to reduce the amount of power that the president has and, like, make it more even, like the way it's supposed to be, the executive branch, the um, judicial branch, and the, what was the last one? 
Legislative. Le- legislative. Thank you. Um, but right now, I think there's too much power with the executive branch. And there is, and so, the, which is weird. So it's a twofold thing. I would say that for one, the president doesn't actually do anything, right? <laughs> and then two is that they already have too much power in the executive. The issue is that the executive does kind of consist of what you wanted, which is this council of people, and it's all of his cabinet and everybody else helping him make those decisions. But it's still in the end, eventually, to that one person. Yeah. But the problem is, is they've given them this authority that doesn't exist in the Constitution. Yes. They've given them authority that is nothing we ever intended for that executive to have, which is creating law, basically, despite the fact that they're not allowed to through executive order. Because they try to... So executive order has to fall underneath an already existing law, right? Saying like, hey, this is how I want you to enforce the law that Congress came up with. Because Congress creates law. And then the judicial is only supposed to... like, lead, like regulate that law, determine whether or not people have violated it. But but then the executive is supposed to actually enforce those laws, right? They're supposed to be the ones that actually implement and execute and make sure that that stuff happens. That's why we would have, if you put together a law that says no drugs in the United States like it exists right now, you would have to have the, lead, the executive create a, a drug enforcement agency in order to prosecute that law that Congress just created. He's like, crap, how do I do this? I got to figure this out, right? Yeah. That, those are four. But they're like very loosely interpreting these laws and like, oh, I'm going to come up with this whole completely other thing and call it being a part of this. How does this even support this other concept that you're saying it's a part of? And that's where we're letting them get away with it because they're all a part of the same system. But again, on the same topic, this one fix of making the house not pliable and viable and party-based and so easy to get because there's only 435 of them Instead, there'd be 6,000 of them. How are you going to buy them? You can't buy all 6,000 of them. You can't buy 301 of them or whatever, or 3,001 of them just to get enough through. It's So even if you – okay. So that's, all, that's all I was going to bring up actually. Even if you had 6,000, like what would stop – I mean, yeah, just be more money. But um, corporations still have, especially now with you know record uh, profits for a lot of these companies, large, large corporations, what would stop them from just buying off more of the house? And the Senate. I think so. Senate is potential, right? Because they are smaller and it needs to stay small. And that's the idea. But there's nothing saying it's not possible that someone could buy 3,001 people and have no one talk about it. But I think as soon as you have that many people, someone's going to let that cat out of that, right? The more people who know a secret, the more likely that secret is to get out. Like as soon as it's, 2,800 people have been bought by this one company in order to try to pass some regulation to make it easier for them to pollute this river. Like someone's going to mention it to their sister. Who's going to tell the newscast? Like there's no way you keep that secret. So I think that the issue with, you know, it may be being 200 or 300 people, you might be able to find enough dirt and have already bought them in order to get them into that seat. And that's part of it, right? These seats are expensive. So you bought them and put them there they have power because you put them there. You want to lose that power? I'll take it away. But if if me and you can run for that seat for $200,000, I could probably raise that money if I really wanted to. And people had an agenda that they wanted me or you to go and advocate for. But I'm not raising $1.7 million. As much as I could try and as charismatic as either one of us could be, it's just probably not going to happen. To just, to what, to try to go get a better education system in California, who has probably one of the best ones in the country? Like, I... I don't see people supporting that. And I think that if the numbers are start getting smaller and 
the people in the house become more common, more normal, the voice of the average person, it becomes harder to buy them without that getting out, right? Like someone's going to mention it. So I think there's actually a, an interesting solution. I don't, know, I don't know if you heard of this. Um, but yeah. There's a thing called democracy dollars. Have you heard of that? Like the concept? Mm -mm. Or like basically you give every voting age American, um, well, it's quote unquote give. I'm using it in the same context as, as like free shit from the government. All right. Uh, basically, you, you give them a hundred dollars towards um, wh whatever political person that they're going to support, and yeah. that that way you could wash out all of this "quote unquote" dirty money. Um, you know, because th there's no way that you could um, that any corporation that's really around today, except for like maybe like Apple or something like that, but they don't really give a shit. Um, washing out all this money from you know potentially what 170 to 200 plus million people you know what i mean like if, if we all like hey i support this person or, or you can even divvy it up i support these people i'm gonna use a portion of my democracy dollars to donate towards them um to use towards their campaign and i think that that's potentially another way that we can get uh, without just express expressly banning lobbying because let's be honest if we got if we ban lobbying they just come up with another term because lobbying to me is just is bribery you know just to me it's just bribery so and that's all what's up which is already illegal. Yeah. So let's just use some other new fangled term to get, you know, corporation dollars back into a, back into business, back into, you know, the government. But I think if we had something like that to use actual money from the people, I think that would help. I don't know if it'd be like a permanent solution, but I think it's a, it's a good idea that I think people should probably look into. So would that, would those selections be for campaign funding? Like, I'm choosing to apply my money towards someone for a campaign funding or is it for a different, different concept? For like how, how Mainly for campaign funding, you know? So okay. like, like uh, the first time I ever campaigned or ever donated to a campaign was this year or last year. Um, and I donated, I mean, not a horrendous sum of money, but it was, it was a decent amount of money. Um, but I think if it was already through like my tax dollars, you know, that'd be way easier to do. I think for most people, like most people don't want to get into financing or donating any kind of money to any sort of candidate, even if they believe in them wholeheartedly. Most people just don't have that kind of money, you know, but right. you pay taxes. So, you do. and it's like in that amount of money, it's like, it's not actually a huge sum of the total of all taxes that are being paid. So I know that there were proposals too, for the federal election committee to like, mandate like each campaign gets a specific amount based on the like the the hierarchy is running so if it's you know a local state legislature seat or something you get this much money to run within your state district or whatever but then if you're running for like a house of representative seat you get this much money if you're running for governor or a senate seat then you get this much money to run a campaign and like that is the amount that you can spend and you can't spend any money other than what comes from the fec and that is it and that would all be obviously tax funded but then it, the arguments go like they probably should every time, which is like, well, how do we actually keep them from doing it? Yeah. I guess like the, almost like a communist thing. Like how do you stop yeah. them from doing it? <laughs> yeah. And because what would happen is this immediately, why, okay, cool. Those are the official campaign ads that I can run with my money from the FEC. I can't control what this pack over there decides to do to put out some ads on their own. I have nothing to do with that, but they put out ads for me. I, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're you're off the hook for that money, and we're still back where we were. So it's like, is it worth any of our time? And are like, are we going to keep talking about this, or are we just going to forget that we even had this conversation because it's a waste of our time? And most people are like, yeah, no, no, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know. American greed is like a it's a really 
weird thing. And I, I say American greed, especially because it's like a different, I think it's a different breed of greed because it's something that most people don't even realize that occurs, you know, here in, in America specifically. I mean, you have, you can make money here in America. Once you get past a certain dollar amount, you know, that, that, that you're getting, your money makes money here in America. Like people, like I'll give Jeff Bezos as an example. I don't really even consider him a greedy dude. I really don't. People are talking about, oh, he's he's upped his income by, you know, billions of dollars since COVID happened. It's like, yeah, but you realize that he literally had to do nothing to do that? He sat in his house. He yeah. followed all the COVID and went nowhere. And Yeah, he didn't do anything. He didn't invest in anything. All he had to do was just keep his own stock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is there anything wrong with that? Not really. <laughs> I mean, in my mind. <laughs> what are all of us doing sitting in our house during COVID ordering crap off Amazon? That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the stocks that I have supplemented me through my uh, my income loss. So I'm not going to complain about that dude making money off the same stock market. But at the same time, um, I think that the stock market is a, is a terrible uh, metric to value our economy. Because yes. all, all the stock market is telling me is that people are putting are giving money to these companies. That you're that you're, you're hoping that in the future that they're going to make more money. That's all you're hoping, <laughs> you know, but that doesn't help, right. you know, the, the guys delivering packages, you know. And there are other metrics, like we, no one pays attention to them. Like even GDP as like, as a metric for the country, like is a terrible metric. Like yeah, it's not it a good one, so, but it's something that's easy to calculate. So we use it, right? It's one of those things where like you can look at pretty much any country, calculate their GDP pretty easily and and be able to compare each other. And so for that, it has value. But other than that, like it is not really a good metric. So no, I think uh, more stuff. What's up? Is that a train? What's going on here? Lightsabers. Oh, I think okay. I need to change. No, I'll talk. <laughs> Don't worry about it, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that th- there should be like a like a happiness index or something like that. That needs to be like a better metric, you know, yeah. for people as a whole, you know, it, other than just these companies are making money, like them making money. Yeah. The, the corporations are happy. If you're a stockholder, you're happy. But if you're, if you don't have a 401k or own stock, like what does that mean to you? Really? I mean, it doesn't mean anything to you. And I feel like, so there is uh, not matrix metrics. I, I feel like there, there is um, something that actually does, a measure of of like overall citizen happiness um like as as a combination of like a whole bunch of things where they they measure like um medical care average lifespan like all these things of like um average median income like basically do you have the ability to do things which could make you happy and like compare that number, right? They do all these extra calculations to say, okay, this is one number that averages out all these different things. I'm trying to, I know I looked this up for a part of a a report I wrote. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I know that there's a, there's a certain, I forget what, there's a country that does it. And I forget what country it is, but they they don't go by GDP or anything like that. They use like a, I think it's called like a happiness index or something like that, or wellness index. It's something silly like that, but yeah, they don't go by any of that you know, the dollar amount thing. Cause I mean, you could be poor and be happy too. <laughs> you know, you could. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, there's definitely other metrics out there to measure overall, like actual value produced in the country. And value is a different word than like, you know, like you said, like we said, GDP or dollar amounts or anything like the value of something has nothing to do with its cost. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So, Oh, it's, it's uh, good. Um, what else was on here? Okay, you already covered, actually, I guess, most of the stuff that I wanted to talk about. 
Oh, unless there's stuff you wanted to add to that, because there was obviously there was twelve original amendments. I don't know if you want to go over each and every one of them. Yeah, uh, so I mean, we know the other Bill of Rights; those are the things that we we actually have as a part of our original Constitution. So, the twenty seventh is now approved, which was originally the second. We still don't have a First Amendment. So, ways we can get there is to you know ratify this amendment in its current form, which is not a good idea because it's kind of broken. You can't actually implement it. Um, but the states can ratify a new constitutional amendment. And like you said, nothing has changed. We haven't had a good constitutional amendment, despite the fact that the world is far more interconnected than it used to be. Um, but so I guess the one last thing would be is this number 435. Do you know what the number 435 means? Oh, it sounds familiar, but I'm going to say no. So that's how many representatives are in the House of Representatives. And that's why we end up with the the 535 for the total electoral college because of the Senate's 100 on top of that. And that's electoral college. Mm-hmm. Um, so this number just came about in 1913 because Congress decided we can't fit more people in this room. We're done. So stupid. We're going to stop growing. <laughs> like this is the number we're at. We're going to fix the size of Congress at this point. And they just did it through law. They made no constitutional amendments. They did nothing other than pass an, a law internal to the Congress and approved by the president. And, and now we have 435 representatives, and that's the total amount. So people will see that every census we do adjust the numbers, right? So if California is ranked number one instead of number two, which is New York, like if they flip-flop, they get a different number of representatives. But it's just slotting, right? So it's taking 435, dividing it up by 50 based on how they fit into the stack, and giving them... The minimum has, has to be one. You have to at least have one representative. So one of the really good proposals on there, which I think can be easily written into an amendment, is that whichever state lowest population, right, which is required to get at least one representative, that's the ratio, right? So if the state of Wyoming has a population of 53,000 people, that's our ratio. You get one, and that becomes our ratio, and we just numbers from there, and, and that's the number of representatives we have this census. Hmm. And every state gets that ratio of people. And it's super easy to calculate, super easy to implement, and it just becomes a system that continues to grow like it's supposed to going forward. And we just need solutions for that problem, which is the, you know, either regional capitals or, you know, everybody votes from home, which I don't necessarily like that because you could have the government computer on at home, VPN in or something, but I'm like, there's security there, but I still worry about that. that like the, the arguments that people could have is like, oh, did you really vote that way? Yeah, I did, but. Can you know? Because you can't, like, could have been hacked. Yeah, yeah this, I don't know. Well, it's it's also, like, <laughs> it's the, no, the whole... this election, that would happen. Yeah, it's, it's just so crazy to me. It's just, like, it's the weird thing about how we have... How do I put this gently? The civilian uh, way of going about security is actually usually more secure... Except for like certain things, internet. There's certain like the Cipernet and Tippernet. That's obviously pretty fucking secure. But at the same time, not everybody that is in the House of Representatives is going to have access to that at their home. You shouldn't, because that would make it unsecure, right? <laughs> but as far as like other than those two things, um, the civilian population, you know, private companies, they they they're very secure with most of their data, and. I see be on the internet what's up <laughs> as secure as you could be while still like on the internet yeah mostly. and I, I think that 
you know, a, a lot of the gov- of government in general is so far behind. I mean, even our military. I mean, uh, uh, you recommended a really good book called The Kill Chain. It was an excellent book. Um, it is a good book. Read yeah. it if you're listening. If uh, if you're into like wondering how our military would fare against like our closest adversaries, and how you think that we might be awesome, we might not be. Might want to read this book. Actually, you should definitely read this book. It's a really good book. Um, I, I find it fascinating from being like from a, a tech field and being in a being a U.S. Marine. Um, and dealing with these, you know, cybersecurity. When I was in the Marine Corps, I actually did cybersecurity. Is mainly what I did. Um, is is the DSID still around in the Marine Corps? Yeah, some version of it. Yeah, some version of it. Yeah. Uh, so when I was in, it was brand new. Like I was the first, one of the first testers of that thing. Um, they now call it an IAM. It's an information assurance module. So more in line with current current terminology, but it's still you know two routers and a firewall. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just. But even then, it's still it's still probably way far behind of like what I would use, you know, uh, with the corporation that I work with now. You know, it's it's probably more secure, except for those instances that I'm talking about, like Nippernet, which is like non-secure stuff. It's probably less secure than what I use with my uh, private corporation. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that there needs to be um, new ideas with the government and the military, which is part of the government. Um, that I think we're just so far behind on because we have these people that are in government right now that hold on to these old ideas, mainly because they're fucking old. Like a lot of people that are in government are old and they don't know anything about tech. You know, um, we, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to be a Gen Xer. So I, I grew up in a time before the Internet. And I got to see the Internet explode. And now I got to see all these fruits. Like if you had told me that we're going to put screens in front of our eyes um, – you know, a couple of years ago, and that VR is a thing, and people don't even think it's cool. I'd be like, "What the fuck? Are you serious?" <laughs> like, like people have to be convinced that this is a cool thing. Um, I, I'd have been amazed, but we're not using anything like that in the military, in the military really, or in the government. They're I'm, not doing, you know, virtual really anything. And I'm starting to. Are you starting because to? Because academics, right? I get to te- decide how we teach these young Marines. We are integrating augmented reality nice. and virtual reality to our curriculum. So Good. we're going to train way that they play at home right like if you are used to engaging media in this method i want to use it so i've already developed for the radio guys right um the day that they show up and you get that first overview of like here's all the radio systems we're going to teach you uh, this is their general concepts you're going to see all this stuff in detail again but i just wanted you to look at all of them once right so what we do now and this is the this is like this next this last class was the first one that did it because i with a developer and a couple other entire internal to us, we developed this um, augmented reality app on some, so, right, everybody's getting iPhones now, so all the old Samsung phones that we had as government-issued cell phones are, like, sitting around, like, what do we do with these? I was like, those for augmented reality. (laughs) So we now have barcodes and an app that runs on these phones, and it's closed loop. It's not something you can download from the App Store. It's something we install on these phones. And the QR codes sit in front of the radio, and they can walk around with headphones on and, like, scan the QR code, and it says, this is this radio, and it does these things. You're like, okay. The next one. So just to get them more interactive with it and doing things in a way that, you know, I, here's the thing. I'm old dude too, by comparison to these guys, but like that I understand is the way we modern people <laughs> engage in, in media. Like there's no reason they shouldn't, these kids grow up in it. Like my son is in college. This is how he has grown up. He knows this stuff. There's no reason these, these Marines don't do the same thing. And so Trying to get it, trying to get it all there, man. I promise. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not your fault, man. I mean, obviously, it's not your fault. There's like layers way above you that that are just like they don't they don't get it. I'm sure you've been in conversations where you're like, this dude doesn't get it. You know what I mean? It's like, and even well, go ahead. I say, and when we talk about it at the government level, right? 
we're talking about power, not just like authority, which these guys have in the military to make decisions, which they need to, but like the power that's there when you're a representative or a senator, the things that are in place right now are the systems that put you in power. Yeah. To change that risks your grasp on that power because any change to it could change the way you access that power. So no one wants to make those changes. Yeah, that's that's so weird. Like, I, I would love to see, you know, I, I've been to um, so many AR and VR conventions. Yeah. I've never seen a representative from the military there. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, these yeah. could, you guys should be at these. I've seen things. Um, this was years ago. There's a company called Tactical Haptics. And they yeah, had, yeah, we talked about it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, like they have this device, which um, I think you can buy now. But when they when I first used it, it was 3D printed, and literally it's a it's a VR module, like a, a controller that you can use, where you could feel things in your hand. Like if, if say if you were like um, if you were to like throw a fishing line out and you went to go pull the 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 fish back in, you would feel friction from the pulling on this. It was like magical. <laughs> I was like, how is this possible? Um, there are things like that that are so amazing that people don't even realize that exist. And I don't know why. Well, I know why now because of the book. But um, why this is not being pushed to the forefront um, in the military and government applications. Like they should be all over this stuff, but they're not. When when you were a Marine, did you ever do like um, like a entry drill? Like you're going to, as a squad or as a fire team, break into a building and like clear the building with your weapons just as like a basic tactics drill. Yes. Yes. I did like maybe once. Yeah. yeah and how did we do it? We, we laid tape on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> taking, taking what the building was and like pretended to clear it. Like why would that not be VR today? Yeah. Why are we not like, Hey guys, we're going to run out and we're doing squad drills today. And the whole squad is in one interconnected lab yeah. and you're all in your VR systems and you're able to like actually see like there's no, there is no reason we're not doing that. Other than acquisitions processes that yeah. you read about in that book, <laughs> and 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 to me honestly, like people talk, like I love talking about VR, but uh, to yeah. me, I think that AR is actually way better for most applications, like yeah. especially when it comes to like military applications, because it's easier for you, it's easier to um, overlay things in real life, and people would be, it's way, and it's way cheaper too, um, to yes. just because um, when it comes to VR, like most VR, except for like the the newer technology that, that just came out, you know, recently, where you don't have to have these. Um, uh, light boxes and cables and stuff like that um but um, when you have ar you can easily use like the same buildings that you're going to use for normal like breaching and clearing and then but you can change what is going on in that building in yeah. while still seeing the rest of your environment um but people just aren't aware that that sort of stuff exists you know what i mean because so, nobody's pushing for it yeah i'm pushing i'm pushing a scenario for the radio operators right now which will use ar in that same kind of setup so you would have a tent that uh is a coc right so you're in a command operations post and there's like the tables with each of the like you know positions for a command post so you have the air officer the fires officer the met you know medevac intel all those guys sitting at their desks working on their computers but realistically that radio operator has a headset on with AR and it's just tables yeah. and all yeah. those people are people that we just record and have set in physical positions inside the space queued off the tent and he'll get, you'll get, you know, the air officer, Hey radio. And then he's got to walk over there and be like, yeah, he's like, Hey, I need you to send this message. To and basically he's getting interactions with these people that don't exist, which means I don't have to have 30 Marines occupied for yeah. each evaluation. <laughs> yeah. I can just <laughs> run that Marine through the, the augmented lab. And it's just, 
So it, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. And that's the sort of stuff that I, you know, I really wanted to work on. Like I, I wanted to actually work at a uh, McTissa. That's the one in uh, Camp Pendleton, right? Yeah. I really wanted to work there when I first got in the Marine Corps. But then I got into like the disaster recovery world and then data stores. And there's like a lot of money to be made here. So, and for me to work at McTissa, just like the money wasn't there. So, like, I think what you and I would rather be doing, right, is more like McWill, right? The warfighting lab, right? Like the guys building new things because McTissa yeah. just stuff that's already built and i think a lot of us don't understand that when we we're first doing it too like i didn't know that i thought the same thing i was like i'm gonna get out and go work because that sounds like fun like just getting to really push stuff to its limit and see how it works but what i think i really was thinking i wanted to do was what i'm doing kind of now and you were talking about wanting to do which is seeing what that cutting edge is and like how do we keep pushing what we're doing to that edge so that we're able to incorporate that in but the issue always becomes acquisitions it's like a this long, slow process. I, I had an hour and a half long conversation with, with the SATCOM program manager, right? The guy who literally will drive this program forward for me, who is like a close friend of ours. Like I built graham cracker houses at this dude's house, right? Like, <laughs> I know. And it's still like, he's like, there's only so much I can do to make this go any faster. And the problem we face is this, right? So we've spent the last two years building a, a document that says, this is what I need from SATCOM. But then Starlink comes out and I'm like, no, we need, <laughs> we need to have something that does this. There's nothing that sounds like that in our concept because I never would have thought of that until, you know, Elon made it an option. And so, but I can't flex. Like we have one option. We literally have until, so we're going to have a meeting in December and like we have until that meeting to decide if we're going to just scrap the document we have spent two years writing to figure out how to incorporate this into it and get it all passed back through the chains and signed again in order to then go to the market and try to get people to, to bid on it. Or do we just run with what we've got and try to figure out a way to augment with, with this other option? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, that's I actually, don't know what the right solution is, you know, and that's frustrating. Yeah. And I think we're going down a different avenue here, but it's great. No, it's no, it's all good. Like, sorry. It's like, this is why I said, you got to keep it, keep it fluid or whatever. Cause we're going to go off the rails and shit like that. Um, you know, I was, I was reading that book and I was like thinking at it, Thinking from uh, so the guy that wrote the book, he was thinking about it more from like obviously the the military and government side of things, and like where he saw like the the division between um, the Silicon Valley and the military. And I don't I think that he missed a really big point on like the divide. It wasn't just you know things that are going slowly, things that took forever, and like there's there's actually there's a real moral thing that it, like a lot of. Uh, uh, Silicon Valley is going to have a problem with with the militaries because if you if they start using their technology, you know, and then we have something else that's controversial, like a nine eleven happen, and then you potentially have those products that you're giving to the military or selling to them, you're not giving shit away, you're selling it to the military, um, and then having that being used to to potentially kill people um, that weren't the intended targets, that becomes a major moral issue um, that I think as a guy between both realms that needs to be resolved from the military and government side. Because I have seen, um, this is my personal experience. When I was a contractor and I worked in, uh, in Qatar, I was working for, for SANCOM, and I would sit in front of this gigantic um, multiple screens every day with uh, um, drone feeds. And I would mm -hmm. see them just dropping bombs every day. And I was just like, do we really know like where all these bombs are going? And like I, I would read all these stories about, you know, um, weddings getting bombed and shit like that. And it's like, I'm a Marine, you know, like, it's like, I'm all about getting the fucking bad guy, but it's like, I'm also about getting the right bad guy. You know what I mean? And I think that there's not enough. Um, 
I think that there's a really uncomfortableness that Silicon Valley has about it potentially killing people that are not intended targets. And I think that it's just got to be fixed. <laughs> have you read um, Have you read On Killing? No, but I can. Yeah, so there's there's a two it's it's two parts. Um, it's on killing, and then um, I'll have to look up the other one for you later. But so in on killing, it's an it, there's this study that was conducted um, in World War One mm -hmm. that produced some really interesting results. So then the the lab that did it has conducted it in every major um, conflict since conducted oh, the same. Is this Dave Grossman? Is this the hold on? Is this the guy that they, does the uh, warrior training? He does. Uh, and... Okay, I'll read the book because you asked me to. <laughs> so, in it, there's 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 one major concept that I take away from it that I think is huge to apply to life in general, and I think you'll probably agree with this this you know analogy, right? That there are there are really only two kinds of people. So there are there are sheep, and there are there are dogs, right? There are ones who will fight, and there are ones who will not fight. Yeah. But under dogs, there's two kinds of dogs. There's sheep dogs, those who protect the sheep, and there's wolves, yeah. those who will will attack the sheep, right? So he kind of goes through that concept. Like, you ha only have two kinds of mindsets, those who are willing to fight and kill and those who are avoided at all costs. And then in the fight to kill kind of people, fight and kill kind of people, there's kind of two, willing to do whatever it takes for themselves, those willing to protect the sheep. Um, and I think that was a kind of a cool message, like visual concept that helps you apply to, like, apply that methodology and that thought process to what I do. I'm, I'm like, okay, I get that. It's hard to accept the violence that you potentially facilitate. But if you think about it as being a sheepdog instead of being a sheep, then it's a little easier to understand. But in that book, he talks about this study where they, they did an analysis on like how many soldiers actually fired on the enemy. And it was a really, really small percentage if you're close, close in. And then they found in hand-to-hand -hand combat, almost none of them would like fight hand-to-hand -hand or kill someone else with a, with a knife, like the, like that scene from Saving Part Ryan, where yeah. you like, that slow, that slow, like yeah, painful scene to watch, like that almost never happened. Like it's, it's talked about and people say they did, but most didn't. And even in the, in the single rifleman type mentality, pulling triggers, it's like 10%. Only 10% ever even fired on the enemy. Most of them would like fire in the air. So it looked like they were shooting. So their wow. friends didn't get mad at them, but they wouldn't actually shoot at the enemy. But then the further away, or the more supported supported type machinery it was. Yeah. So if it was a machine that required two people to operate it, like someone feeding the ammo and someone shooting it, they would shoot at the enemy because I know my buddy's right here looking and he knows what I'm shooting at. And he's going to say maybe, hey, why are you not sh shooting like you're supposed to? If it's like, and then the further away from it, you get mortars and artillery. And if you're in an enclosed box like a tank, those aren't people. Those are just targets. I'm this machine and yeah. you're a part of that machine. And because you're distanced from the violence, it's easier to do. So when you talk about like drones, UAVs, like a shooting yeah. <laughs> in North Carolina, like in a box, like running a video game, it's easy to drop those bombs on weddings because I, I don't know. He told me to like that prison thing. Like, he told me to drop it. Yeah. I dropped it. I don't know what it is. I'm just dropping on a building. I so push the, the button when it goes. The Stanford and prison experiment, I think it was. I think that yeah. was it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The prisoners and the science, the, um, the, the, the guards thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, it's funny because I, you know, brought up Dave Grossman by name because I, I'm going to obviously read the book. I just downloaded it. Um, well, I bought it and then I'll press the download button later. Anyway, um, the sheepdog, wolf thing, dog thing. That's when I first heard about him. I was like, oh, that sounds really legit. 
And then I started like um, watching his videos on him training the police officers on stuff, and I'm just like, police officers are not warriors, okay? So that that's where I had like the whole huge divide. I'm like, that's where um, you should not consider yourself a warrior if you are a proponent of keeping the peace. Um, if you're in the military, your purpose is to commit acts of violence upon the enemy. If you're a police officer, that should not be your go-to for anything. You know, yes, your propensity for violence is going to be there. Obviously, you carry a weapon for a reason. But uh, if your whole mindset is, I'm a warrior, I'm going to go in there and kick some ass, um, I don't think you should be a police officer. And I, I, I'm friends with a lot of police officers and sheriffs. I roll with them doing jujitsu. And uh, it's something that we're probably never going to agree on because it's like, listen, man, um, I, I can't have you out there. I, I don't feel comfortable with you out there thinking that every single suspect is your potential enemy because they're just suspects. Let the normal legal, um, I guess, court, legal, whatever, take its course. Like you're supposed to arrest them, arrest the suspects, and then a jury of their peers are going to convict them. And then that's how that route's supposed to go. Not you going out there and killing people. Even though I know if somebody's, you know, pointing a gun at somebody, yeah, obviously, fucking do what you got to do. But if it's, you know, if somebody's just a suspect for stealing something, shooting them in the back, it's like, I got a problem with that. So, yeah, but that's not what you were saying at all. <laughs> you know, but there's, but there's an important topic, too. And I think that, that if, like you said, if you're going in position is, is ready to escalate. Yeah. Or de-escalate you're going to make the situation worse. And I, I think we're, we're on the cusp, right. Of maybe figuring out that we need to fix that problem that we've trained them for a decade or two. I don't think it was always this bad. I'm, I'm sure there were periods when it was this bad again, but I think for a while, probably while we were younger, like it, I don't remember it being this bad, but maybe I wasn't watching the news cause I was eight, but <laughs> no, no, you're, you're right. I actually started with the, when they started with the SWAT teams in LA it was during one of the LA riots. That's that's when it started. That's when this whole escalation thing started. And so, like, I think that there are situations where that level of the ability for the state or like the society to protect itself needs to have a mechanism for being brought in. But that's what the National Guard is for. That's what yes, bringing the military you. in those situations. Like, <laughs> you don't need that inherent to the daily actions of the police force. So, but you know, if we spend decades training these guys to escalate, they don't. Now, now the old guys have only ever known that, so they're only training the new guys that. Even though when the old guys there maybe learned a mix of the two from the generation before, and we have to break that cycle of continuing to escalate versus find a way to de-escalate first. And if you absolutely have to, like, there's no reason not to go to eleven. If, like yeah. I said, in that situation, there's someone holding a gun on someone else. Okay, you need to be ready for violence right now. But there, there is a time and a place. And I think we've we've trained our police forces potentially to be hammers and see everything as a nail yes. instead of knowing that they are a versatile tool system that can bring a whole bunch of tools to to bear and see screwdrivers and brads and, and staples and all kinds of stuff and need to handle the situation with the right tool. And unfortunately we are ready to go to hammer every time. Yeah. Once I saw that they were starting to get tanks, like literal tanks, <laughs> I was like, when the fuck does a police officer need to use a tank? Like when, I mean, they're, they're, they're APCs. They're APCs <laughs> yeah. well, you know what APC is? Well, this it's is a the, little tank. Like the what I saw, they were using MRAPs to get to and from places. I was like, okay, so when is a when is a mine ever gone off on American soil? Ever? Like seriously? It's got the like shaped holes. Yeah, it's like a mine has never gone off in America, as far as I as far as I know. You know, it definitely hasn't been ten. <laughs> you know, not enough yeah. to 
What's up? I mean, to be honest, I want a Matt V. Oh, yeah. But I mean, for sure. Be... But that doesn't mean... I, I don't <laughs> want to pay the gas fee, but, you know, <laughs> I'd be cool to I drive. I think that's the first vehicle I've ever seen that gets, like, gallons per mile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's they're <laughs> giant, heavy things that... I mean, they have a purpose, but they're definitely not for escorting a SWAT team or police officers to and from a place where you know people aren't going to... Like, I have to get in arguments with civilians about this shit and they're just like oh yeah they need to get safe to get there i'm like but they're not taking fire to get there like are, yeah, are right. you are, are they literally gonna drive that amrap to the door of the place that they're gonna get to like no like you're not gonna drive it into fire like <laughs> that doesn't make any sense like nobody does that <laughs> police forces stop around the corner where it's safe make yeah. their way to the places that, yeah, yeah and then somebody was trying you, to tell me oh they, they they need a place to have a safe uh what was it, like a mobile command center? I was like, if your mobile command center is in fire, it's not a fucking mobile command center. We're <laughs> a little bit away from it. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, oh, I had something. I lost it now. <laughs> Sorry, Anyways. it happens. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm glad you uh you brought up this. You broke down some things to me um about our current government and just breaking down Congress and. Uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives. Like, I had no idea about the House of Rep- Representatives. And yeah, you, you're totally right. If that's the way it was originally supposed to be, um, yeah, it's it's not it's not enough. You, you have convinced me that it's it's not enough people to represent all of us. But at the same time, well, I already brought my, I already killed my own argument because you have people in America that should not have a voice. They shouldn't on both sides. Yeah, <laughs> the problem. So you're going to have some of those people in congress <laughs> yeah yeah they're gonna be there you know but hopefully we can convince them you know or educate them if say if i was in congress and someone who's uneducated and able to easily be swayed then i can you know the rest of the congress the rest of the house could hopefully you know show them hey this is this is what this is about this is the this is what's actually on paper but that's a whole other thing actually reading the bills which no one does but yeah well they're because they don't they don't put them in i think they're honestly they need to put these laws in uh, in layman's terms, like all putting all the stuff in legalese. The reason why it's in legalese is because most people that are in uh, Congress in general are lawyers. And so they put them in these like odd terms that a layman cannot possibly understand um, unless you do a whole lot of research. And they're just like, I don't got time for this. Yeah. Like, what does the party what? say? Party says yeah. yes or no? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah, you can't understand. The, there was a proposal to make it so that you had to write two versions, right? There's like Because... You need a legal version when you're writing a law because it's a law and yeah. it needs to be written in legal terms so that you can enforce it and to, you know judiciate on it later. But there also needs to be an understanding for the people who need to follow this law and not violate it, what that actually means. And so there was like this proposal to have the legal version and the, the GP version so that everybody could read it and go, okay, I understand what that means. And if someone sat there and compared the two, we go, yeah, those two are the same thing basically. Um, and of course that, that sounded like making the population a little too well-educated. So they, they shut that down. Yeah. Well, I mean, the population should be more well-educated, but I mean, that have to get into actually funding all, you know, all the schools properly. So, which, which we're not, that's a whole different can of worms, you know, I I don't understand how that's even an issue. (laughs) The harder they are to control. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you say? No, 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 no. It's just, we have, uh, you know, people always, you know, we talk about, you know, education systems in America, but it's like we're not even equally funded. And 
um, when we talk about uh, what they, like the latest thing from uh, from President Trump was the school choice thing. Mm-hmm. Like having school choice, it sounds great if if you're wealthy. Yeah, it sounds awesome. But if you're poor, uh, what does school choice mean to you? It means that they're gonna they're gonna continue to not fund the school that's nearest to you, and you're gonna have to find a way to get to the school that they're properly funding. And that's what I think that most people don't really seem to understand. Is but but it sounds cool, you know. <laughs> it's like I, I but I've also I, I've come from being very poor to being you know mm-hmm. decently well off, you know. But most people they, they they don't have that you know that wide spectrum of seeing what it's like to have like a school that's really fucked up and then having a school that you know has has some money to throw around. I think there would have to be more math to it than just equally funding all schools, because you know, like BAH for example, like allowance for housing and based on the economy of the local area that you're in, the amount of money that the school needs is going to be different. So well, I guess a I... rural, so but you need to be funded to a certain amount based on the region. Yes, like, it should be. I guess e- proportion would be value. better. Yeah. yeah. Geez, proportion would be a really great thing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting back to what it, you were talking about. It's an important term, like in things, because the problem with proportionality is it requires a lot of math, and most people just want an easier answer. Yeah, well, everybody wants the, the easiest solution possible, right? But there's like, people are are messy and, and complicated people. So, I mean, if you just think about your daily life, nobody's like a simple person. Even the people that you think are simple, they're not simple. They have the reason why they're probably you think they're simple is because they're going through some shit that you don't really really you, that you don't want to listen to. So, <laughs> you block all the complicated stuff out and only hear the simple. Yeah, yeah. It's like ask them how their actual day went. Like they're, they're probably gonna give you a bullshit answer, but if you ask them how their actual day went or the past yeah. week went, it's gonna be something you don't want to listen to. So because it's gonna disturb you because you're gonna see how, how well you got it. <laughs> and that that was a lesson for me, you know, um, learning to be comfortable with that conversation is hard, right? Um, so I still haven't had this conversation with quite a few people, like for. That, that were a part of it. So part of the time while I was in high school, I was like literally homeless would sleep under bridges and stuff in Portland, Oregon. Wow. And, um, I slept in a, a goodwill like donation truck quite a few times because there's usually a lot of clothes and sometimes people put furniture in there. So it's soft. Like it's a place to sleep. That's not a concrete pad. Right. So, um, so when I joined the Marine Corps, like I was 110 pounds and had like, I hadn't eaten in a long time. And I knew that this was something that would get me away from this, downward spiral I was kind of on I was I got good grades and I was good in school and I was you know and people knew me but they didn't know that that was going on uh there's a few who did and they know who they are but um and they generally tried to help but like to 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 get here where I am now like you said like in a pretty good spot for you and to then what what talking to people in a tough spot right now does for me is like puts my my mind and like my emotions in that spot then and scares me a little bit, you know, and it's hard to deal with those old emotions of like figuring out what I'm going to eat next, how I could maybe make a couple bucks to get some food. And, and it's, it's hard to face those things about myself. And that's for me, what it was to get over those uncomfortable conversations was like, I, I don't necessarily want to hear that because it, it gens it up for me. It's not because I don't care about their concerns. It's just that it makes me uncomfortable. And that's, 
not fair to the person I'm trying to have that conversation with. So I, it took a lot to try to get get past that barrier. No, I mean it's it's hard. I mean like nobody wants to go back to to scarcity. Like once you get to the land of abundance, once you once you even smell scarcity, it's just like fuck. Like you know what it's like that that anxiety gets because like the same thing with me. Like I feel that anxiety, which like you know I I, I had to take a fifteen percent pay cut over the past like four months. You know it's just like for me that's like a lot of money. <laughs> I was just like well fuck. All right, I guess we're just going to do this. What do I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, like... And I think that most people don't realize that once you're in the scarcity mindset, like, the amount of uh, brain power that that sucks up uh, is just... It's so immense, you know? Yeah. Um, I think there was um, there were studies around. I can't I can't remember the exact numbers. But if, if you are... If you're in a scarcity mindset, your IQ actually fucking drops by a substantial amount. Because your mind, your mind power thinking about that exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it, who cares about math or English or history when you don't know when the next time you're gonna fucking eat? Yep. You know what I mean? And I think that that's actually one of the main issues here in in America that most people don't want to talk about is that there's a good portion of our society that is living in a scarcity mindset, and that is to to the detriment of this country, and it is causing mm-hmm. probably if not the vast majority, almost all of our crime in this country. Unless you just come from somebody that just like, wants to be a total fucking asshole. But most people... Those, go ahead. Yeah. I was saying, yeah, those people exist, but it's rare, right? Yeah. Most people, no. It's from what you said, so I totally, totally am there. The, you know what Maslow's hierarchy of needs is? I can't remember the whole thing, but I, I know I've heard the term. The pyramid with, like, purple on the bottom or whatever. And, like, the bottom being your absolute requirements to survive, right? Like food, water, shelter, those, those things we all learn are the things you need. So I have no problem accepting, even as a libertarian, where we say there are like the, the few things you expect the government to provide for you. If we say defense, right? A military defense is one of those. That's not in the bottom tier, bro. Like that's the tier above that. Yeah. So you be here first in order to get there. So that means we should also accept it, potentially making sure that it's, available to our citizens to have food and shelter and like the ability to live that's it then excel from there then we can worry about defense and some other things safety is the next one it's really safety security things like that you're that's when we start talking about regulation and other things too i'm okay with the bottom two tiers of Maslow's hierarchy being in some senses responsibility of government past that like that's on the individual to take care of but we don't we don't want to accept that i think as a society right now because it sounds like communism right like oh we're just gonna feed everybody look well maybe that's not a terrible idea well and that's why on the next one because we're, we're running i don't know how long it's gonna take which is fine because yeah. i never have a time limit on these things but on the next one yeah. we're gonna talk about ubi because it's gonna cover exactly what we're just you're just saying make sure that people have a place to sleep they have food and they're taken care of and that's where i think ubi kind of slots into that very bottom tier like just just a basic minimum to live, just yeah. the floor. That's that's all people. I think that would help uh, the United States of America, if not the world, um, the most. It's just give somebody a floor. We all start off the, start off on the same floor, and then then we can go from there. Because once once you get that floor, your basic needs are met, and then you're good to go. I'm not saying enough money to like stop working. I'm just saying just give you a a floor a floor to basically subsist on. Yeah, that's it. Have you seen The Expanse or watched any of those episodes? Yeah, I actually had some of the actors on my podcast. <laughs> oh, oh. I have to check those episodes out because, yeah. yeah, that um, 
the concept that's going on in Earth, uh, you know, and the government talks about, like you can catch that in the background dial, like some of the scenarios that they, because they won't go into it exactly. Like no one tells you exactly what's going on with government in most of these shows because most people will be bored out of their mind. But like you can see you're like, uh, no one has to work. Like basically if you want to live, you just live it's in, just, in Earth at that time. So It's just like Star Trek. Yep. Star Trek literally, um, there's no money for the Federation. Literally none. When you hear about Latinum, it's usually from the Ferengis because they're all about capitalism. But um, yeah, the, there is no money. It's all about altruism and just, you know, just doing science shit, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's like a tiered system, but your basic needs are always met if you're a part of the Federation. I think that's, that's why I love, I love Star Trek. And I love, I love The Expanse too. Obviously, I, I've read most of the books. And I've watched I read Expanse books. I've just been watching the show, and I love the 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 physics of it and the like science of it. It's so really bound within reality of like interstellar physics and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so realistic. It's pretty cool. Yeah, especially when like they vent um, their atmosphere in case they're getting shot at. Because it's like, yeah, you would die instantly if you got one shot. <laughs> if something hits your hole and you have no shields, like you're gonna blow, you're gonna like, explosive decompression, and then you're done. So yeah. It's a, it's a really, really well thought out show. Same thing with uh, Battlestar Galactica. thought that was a really good one too. You ever watched that one? The the latest one. I didn't watch the most recent one. I once upon a time watched the original movie, you know, but I, I haven't watched new stuff. I know I need to. It's it's on the list. Yeah, it's it was the best sci-fi show for a very long time. The Expanse is kind of getting up there with it. And then uh, the latest Star Trek Discovery is uh, is pretty high up there on my list anyway, as far as sci-fi show goes. I've heard good things about the new Star Trek. Um, old old emotion stuff keeps me from Star Trek for a while. My dad was like a huge Trekkie, and and that's a tough thing for us. But I think the new one's going to draw me back in. <laughs> so you're, yeah. well, did did you lose your dad? Is that what happened? Uh, so he was not around at all, and uh, then we started finally connecting again. And only like two years after that, he, he passed. So it's like, ah, oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> finally started maybe getting a chance to reestablish a relationship that should have been there right but wasn't and then um and then then he passed yeah so. yeah my, my dad's thing was uh james bond films oh nice yeah so i used to i used to watch all of them with him um my dad well he was there but obviously my my mom had uh full custody of me so i would see him like i think like once a month on a weekend or something like that and then like after i became after i got out of the marine corps we're starting to connect more and more and more and then at the age of 55, he just passed away. I talked to him literally the day before, and he was playing. He was a pro racquetball player. And he was playing <laughs> racquetball, and he came off the court, and he just died. I was like, holy shit. I talked to him literally the day before. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so another thing. Yeah, life is, life is terrible. It's only one way out, and we all, we're all going to go there. <laughs> you know? All right, so we're going to say we're going to save UBI for next topic next yeah, day. We'll save it for next because if we don't, it's going to be a three-hour podcast. So, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and I, I know you probably got to work tomorrow, probably early, earlier than me, because you're still an active marine. Yeah, I, I'm used to no sleep. Yeah. Well, what time? What time do you get up in the morning? Like to go to work? Four. Four. Yeah. I used to get up at four in the morning to like work out voluntarily. Yeah. I usually write or or work out and then then head to work. Yeah. So like I got some course tomorrow, so it's no big deal. I get up at uh, six forty-five to get to work at seven. Well, yeah, because <laughs> well, I, I have to I have to walk outside my house into like my into my shed because well it's it's a yeah. building but yeah yeah 
Not too bad. So that's that's the that's the the wife and daughter story right now. They're teacher and student, so they're not going to school. She's teaching from that room. She's sitting in her class. Awesomely, she's teaching fifth grade. She's in her class in fifth grade. So she's sitting in there, literally in the class that she's teaching. Oh wow! That... <laughs> Online in the other room. That is that is amazing. That's like the most 2020 thing ever. (laughs) We can't even be in the same room, even though we're in the same class. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty. I never, I never even could consider that that could happen like ever. Yeah. So that's the second time that my daughter's been in my wife's class in first grade. She was also her student. So then in fifth grade, she's her student again, because we move around, you know, so she shifts grades pretty much every time we move. So she moved from second grade over there to fifth grade here, and she's now in fifth grade and is now in her class again. Oh, well, obviously she teaches on base, right? I mean, that's like... Nope. She teaches down in um, Desert Hot Springs oh, uh, okay. in the Palm Springs School District. So Nice. California teachers make a lot more pay than um, anybody else, pretty much. I, I would I would assume, but probably, well, definitely not enough. So, yeah. I would say that here, at least, maybe... I don't know. So she's been teaching for, I think she's got 13 years worth of teaching, right? So she gets paid more than a lot of others and she has her master's in teaching stuff. So, so if you have those additional qualifications and that additional experience and really good ratings, I have no problem with the idea that what money she makes is pretty darn good. She makes more than I do. So pretty good. I would say as far as California being like the teacher pay is actually pretty darn good compared to pretty much anywhere else. So, North Carolina is like one of the worst, which is the other places we can go, right? So, like, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I think if uh, 29 Palms or North Carolina. Yeah, I didn't like 29 Palms, but I think I would still take 29 Palms because at least I can get to San Diego pretty, you know, sort of quickly. <laughs> or you probably didn't experience Yucca Valley, and even though it's just 40 minutes down the road, it's a whole different world. Oh, actually, I sort of did, but I mostly went to San Diego because my my brother lived there. He was a, when I was in the Marine Corps, he was going through college, so I'll go to a lot of college parties. Nice, yeah. <laughs> Good experience for the Marine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Anyway, we gotta wrap this up because I gotta um, get some sleep. My girlfriend was asking for me, <laughs> so yeah, we definitely kind of went long, but yeah, it's good. This is how it almost always happens. So um, we'll have to schedule little better next time to know how much time we're going to have. So at least two hours next time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. We'll name this podcast later. I don't know what it's going to call yeah. it. be called right now. But, yeah. I don't know. Anything we'll else you got? Out. Any safe rounds? Nope. I'm good. All right. Cool. We're out of here. All right. Yeah.